Section 1 of Stories in Grey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ian Stewart, Rosanna, Victoria, Australia. Stories in Grey by Barry Payne. Section 1. Smeath. Percy Bellows was not actually idle, had a good deal of ability, and wished to make money, but at the age of thirty-five he had not made it. He had been articled to a solicitor, and in his own phrase had turned it down. He had neglected the regular channels of education which were open to him. He could give a conjuring entertainment for an hour, and though his tricks were stock tricks, they were done in the neat professional manner. He could play the cornet and the violin, neither of them very well. He could dance a breakdown. He had made himself useful in a touring theatrical company, but he could not spell correctly, and his grammar was not always beyond reproach. He disliked regularity. He could not go to the same office at the same time every morning. He was thriftless, and he had been, but was no longer intemperate. He was a big man with smooth black hair and a heavy moustache, and he had the manners of a bully. At the age of thirty-five he considered his position. He was at that time travelling the country as a hypnotic entertainer under the name of Dr. Sanders Bell. At each of his entertainments he issued a ten-thousand-pound challenge, not having at the time ten-thousand pence in the world. He employed confederates, and he had to pay them. It was not a good business at all. His gains in one town were always being swallowed up by his losses in another. His confederates gave him constant trouble. But though he turned things over for long in his mind, he could see nothing else to take up. There is no money nowadays for a conjurer without originality, an indifferent musician, or passable actor. His hypnotic entertainment would have been no good in London, but it did earn just enough to keep him going in the provinces. Also, Percy Bellows had an ordinary human weakness. He liked to be regarded with awe as a man of mystery. Even off the stage he acted his part. He had talked delirious science to agitated landladies in cheap lodgings in many towns. Teston was a small place, and Percy Bellows thought that he had done very well after a one-night show to cover his expenses and put four pounds in his pocket. He remained in the town on the following day because he wished to see a man who had answered his advertisement for a confederate. Assistant to a hypnotic entertainer was the phrase Mr. Bellows had used for it. He was stopping at the Victoria Hotel. It was the only hotel in the place and it was quite bad, but Percy Bellows was used to that. A long course of touring had habituated him to doubtful eggs and indistinguishable coffee. This morning he faced a singularly repulsive breakfast without quailing. He was even cheerful and conversational with a slatternly maid who waited on him. "'So you saw the show last night,' he said. "'Yes, sir, I did, and very wonderful it was. "'There's never been anything like it in Teston, not in my memory. "'Ah, my dear, will you watch this?' "'He picked up the two boiled eggs which had been placed before him. "'He hurled one into the air where it vanished. "'He swallowed the other one whole. "'He then produced them both from a vase on the mantelpiece. "'Well, I never,' said the maid. "'I wonder if there's anything you can't do, sir.' "'Just one or two things,' said Mr. Bellows sardonically. "'By the way, my dear, if a man comes here this morning and asks for me, I want to see him.' He consulted a soiled letter which he had taken from his pocket. The name's Smeath. 
Mr. Smeath arrived, in fact, before Bellows had finished his breakfast and was told he could come in. He was a man of extraordinary appearance. He was a dwarf with a slightly hunched back. His hands were a size too large for him and were always restless. His expression was one of snarling subservience. At first Bellows was inclined to reject him, for a confederate should not be a man of unusual appearance and easily recognisable. Then it struck him that, after all, this would be a very weird and impressive figure on the stage. "'Ever do anything of this kind before?' he asked. "'No, sir,' said Smeath. "'But I've seen it done and can pick it up. I think I could give you satisfaction. You see, it's not very easy for a man like me to find work.' All the time that he was speaking, his hands were busy. "'When you've finished tearing up my newspaper,' said Bellows. "'Sorry, sir,' said the man. He pushed the newspaper away from him, but caught up a corner of the tablecloth. It was frayed, and he began to pull threads out of it, quickly and eagerly. "'Ever been hypnotised?' Bellows asked. "'No, sir,' said Smeath, with a cunning smile. "'But that doesn't matter, does it? I can act the part all right. It matters a devilish lot, as it happens, and you can't act the part all right either. My assistants are always genuinely hypnotised. I employ them to save time on the stage.' After I have hypnotized you a few times, I shall be able to put you into the hypnotic state in a minute or less, and to do it with certainty. I can't depend on chance people from the audience. Many of them cannot be hypnotized at all, and with most of the others it takes far too long. There are exceptional cases. I had one at my show only last night, but I don't often come across them. Come on up with me to my room. You want to see if you can hypnotize me? No, I don't. I know I can. I simply want to do it. Upstairs in the dingy bedroom, Bellows made Smeath sit down. He held the bright lid of a cigarette tin between Smeath's eyes and slightly above the level of them. Look at that, he said. Keep on looking at it. Keep on. In a few minutes, Bellows put the tin down, put his fingers on Smeath's eyes and closed them. The eyes remained closed. The little hunchback sat tense and rigid. An hour later, in the coffee-room downstairs, Bellows made his definite agreement with Smeath. "'You understand,' said Bellows, "'you'll be at the town hall at Warlow tomorrow night at seven. "'When I invite people to come up on the platform, you will come up. "'That's all you've got to do. "'Got any money? "'Enough of the present.' Smeath began to pull matches from a box on the table. He broke each match into four pieces. "'But suppose that tomorrow night you can't do it. "'There'll never be a day or night I can't do it with you now.' That's definite. Now, then, leave those matches alone. I might be wanting one of them directly. After Smeath's departure, Percy Bellows sat for a few minutes deep in thought. In that dingy room upstairs, he had seen something which he had never seen in his life before, something of which he thought that various uses might be made. He picked up the newspaper, and was pleased to find that Smeath's busy fingers had spared the racing intelligence. Then he sought out the landlord. I say, he said, I've got a fancy to put a few shillings on a horse. Do you know anybody here it would be safe to do it with? Well, said the landlord, as a matter of fact, you can do it with me, if you like. I do a little in that way on the quiet. The police don't bother you? No, they're not a very bright lot, the police here. Besides, they're pretty busy just now. We had a murder in Teston the day before you came. Who was that? A Miss Samuel, daughter of some very well-to-do people here. I think it was a tramp. See that plantation up on the hill there? That was where they found her. Her head all beaten to pulp and her money gone. Nice set of blackguards you've got in Teston, I don't think. Well now, about this race today. When Percy Bellows left the Victoria Hotel on the following morning, he was not required to pay a bill. 
on the contrary he had a small balance to receive from the landlord bless you sir i don't mind said the landlord as he paid him pretty well all my crowd were on the favourite queer thing that horse should have fallen at Warlow the entertainment went very well when it was over bellows asked smeath to come round to the hotel they had the little smoking-room to themselves you remember when i hypnotised you yesterday yes sir yes mr bellows do you remember what you did or said smeath shook his head i went to sleep the same as i did to-night that was all know anything about horse racing nothing never touched it you mean to say you've never seen a horse race never what did you do before you came to me i had not been in any employment for some time i was once in business as a bird fancier i had bad luck and made no money in it you ask me a great many questions sir i do that's because i've been turning things over in my mind i want you to put your name to an agreement with me for three years a pound a week that's a good offer a man who's been in business and failed ought to appreciate an absolute certainty like that it would be the same kind of work smeath asked pretty much the same when i've finished this tour i'm thinking of settling down in london i should employ you there no thank you mr bellows said smeath i would rather not oh all right said bellows make an idiot of yourself if you like it doesn't make a pin's head of difference to me i can easily find plenty of other men who would grab at it i thought i was doing you a kindness as you said yourself chaps of your build don't find it any too easy to get work i'll work for you for six months possibly a month or two longer than that but afterwards well i wish to return to the bird fancying again no you don't said bellows savagely if you can't take my terms you're not going to make your own if you won't sign for three years out you get you're talking like a fool too how can you go back to this rotten business in six months do you think you're going to save the capital for it out of a pound a week i have friends who might help me who are they they are well they're friends of mine you will perhaps give me till tomorrow morning to think it over very well if you're not here by ten tomorrow morning to go round to the solicitor's office with me i've finished with you now then i'm going to hypnotize you again what for practice now then look at me in a few moments smeath sat with his eyes open but fixed tell me what you see asked bellows nothing said smeath i see nothing yes you do said bellows there are horses with jockeys on them they're racing see they get near the winning post yes said smeath dully i see them but it is through a mist and a long way off now they've gone yesterday when i hypnotized you you saw clearly you actually described a race which afterwards took place you gave me the colors you gave me the names that the crowd shouted you described how the favorite crossed his legs and fell can you do nothing of the kind today no not today today i see other things what i see a street in london there is a long row of sandwichmen my name is on their boards there are many fashionable people in the street expensive shops jewellers shops picture galleries i can see you too you have just come into the street where have i come from how can i tell it may be your own house or offices your name is on a very small brass plate by the side of the door you have got a fur coat on and you're wearing a diamond pin you get into a car it's your own car and you tell the man who opens the door for you to drive to the bank you look very pleased and prosperous now the car starts that is all i can see no more bellows leaned forward and blew lightly on smeath's eyes the tenseness of his muscles relaxed he rubbed his eyes and stood up do you know what you've been saying bellows asked i've been saying nothing said smeath i have been asleep as you know you made me go to sleep bellows looked round the room his eye fell on an empty cigarette box lying in the fender 
"'Pick that up and hold it in your hands,' he said. Smith looked surprised, but he did as he was told. There was a loose label on the box, and his fingers began to tear it off in small pieces. "'Now then,' said Bellows, "'can you tell me anything about the man who had that box and threw it down there?' "'Of course I can't. How should I be able to do that? It's not possible.' "'Very well,' said Bellows. "'I'm going to put you to sleep once more.' "'I don't like this wine, Smith. There's too much of it. It's bad for one's health.' "'Nonsense. Look here, Smith. I want you for three years, don't I? "'And I'm not likely to do anything that will injure your health. You'll be all right.' When Bellows had hypnotised Smith, he again put the cigarette box in his hands. "'And now what do you see?' he asked. "'This is quite clear. It is a short, thick-set man who takes the last cigarette out of the box and throws it down.' as he smokes it he walks up and down the room frowning he is puzzled about something he takes out his pocket-book and as he opens it a card drops to the floor can you see what's on the card yes it lies face upwards the name is mr vincent and in the left-hand corner are the words criminal investigation department scotland yard now he closes his notebook what was written in it i only saw one word the name samuel now a waiter comes into the room, and the man asks for a timetable. Once more Bellows restored Smeath to his normal state. That'll do, he said. That's all for tonight. You can be off now and think over that offer of mine. At ten on the following morning Smeath kept his appointment. He said he would sign an agreement for two years only, and that he would want thirty shillings a week. What makes you suddenly think you're worth thirty shillings a week? I have no idea at all, but I know you need me very much. I have that feeling. It was three years, I said, not two. If I pay you thirty shillings a week, you can sign for three years. I cannot. I want to get back to my birds. I will sign for thirty shillings a week for two years, or I will go away. Oh, very well, growled Bellows. You're an obstinate little devil. Have it your own way. I hope to goodness I'm not going to lose money over you. I've never paid more than a pound to an assistant before. By the way, Smeath, were you ever in London? "'Yes, several times. Do you know Piccadilly or Bond Street or Regent Street?' Smeath shook his head. "'I've only passed through and going from one place to another. I know the names of those streets, but I've never been in them.' "'Very well,' said Mr. Bellows. "'Come along with me, and we'll fix up the agreement.' About a month later, Mr. Bellows, who had come up to London for the purpose, called at the office of Mr. Tangent's agency in Sussex Street. Appointment, said Bellows, as he handed in his card, and was taken immediately into the inner office. Mr. Tangent, a florid and slightly overdressed man of fifty, rose from his American desk to shake hands with him. Well, my dear old boy, said Tangent, and how are you? Fit, said Bellows, remarkably fit. And what can I do for you? I had an inquiry the other day that brought you to my mind. It's not much, a week with a chance of an engagement if you catch on. Thanks, old man, but I don't want it. I've got on to something a bit better. What I want from you is a hundred and fifty pounds. Tangent laughed genially. Long time since I've seen so much money as that. Well, well, what's it for? Tell us the story. I've had a bit of luck, Tangent. I've got a man booked up to me for the next two years who is simply the most marvellous clairvoyant the world has ever seen. Clairvoyants aren't going well, said Tangent. Most of them don't make enough to pay for their rent and their ads in the Sunday papers. The fact is, there are too many of them. I don't care what the line is, palmistry, crystal gazing, psychometry, or what you like. There's no money in it. Let's talk sense. You say there's no money in it? Do you remember when Merion fell and a ten-to-one chance romped home? Remember it? I've good reason to. I'd backed Merion both ways and didn't see how I was going to lose. Well, I backed the winner. 
not being a Croesus like yourself, I only had five bob on. I backed him because my clairvoyant saw the whole thing and described it to me before the race was run. Can he do it again? He's not been able to do it again yet. He has seen what happened in the past many times, and he's never been wrong. He is exceptional. He is only clairvoyant when he's hypnotized. In the normal state, he sees nothing. He's an ugly little devil, a dwarf, and if I bring him to London, he'll make a sensation. What's more, he'll make money, pots of money. I know the crowd you've been talking about. They're a hit or miss lot. They're no good. This is something quite different. We shall have all the society women paying any fee I like to consult him. There's a fortune in it. Tangent lit a cigarette and pushed the box across to Bellows. What is it you propose to do, he asked. Rooms in Bond Street, good furniture, uniformed servant, sandwichmen at first. Once the thing gets started, it will go by itself. Any woman who's consulted him once is absolutely bound to tell all her friends. The man's a miracle. I'll tell you another thing I'm going to do. When the next sensational murder turns up, and Scotland Yard can't put their hands on the man who did it, I'm going to turn my chap onto the job. I'll bet all I've got to sixpence that we find the man. There was the case of that girl, Esther Samuel. Yes, I remember that, but by this time most of the public have forgotten it. A better chance is bound to turn up soon. I don't see how you're going to start on a hundred and fifty. I'm not, my boy. I've got money of my own that I'm putting into it as well. Let's see, said Tangent, picking up a pencil. What did you say was this man's name and address? Bellows laughed. Oh, no, you don't, he said. At present, that's my business. Make it your own business as well, and you shall be told everything. I don't know why you should call it a business at all. You asked me to lend you a hundred and fifty. You offer no security. All I've got is your story that you found a clairvoyant who's really good. Very well. If you satisfied yourself that the man was really good, would you lend the money then? On terms, yes, but they'd have to be satisfactory terms. They would be. Well, you shall see for yourself. The man's waiting in a cab downstairs. You might have said that before. Why? Anyhow, I'll go and bring him up now. It was a chilly morning, and Smith shivered in a thick overcoat which he refused to remove. No time was wasted on preliminaries. Bellows hypnotized him at once. Now then, my boy, said Bellows. You shall see for yourself. Give me any article which you or someone else has worn or has frequently handled. Tangent opened a drawer in his desk and produced a lady's glove. That, he said, was left in my office a week ago. Let's see what he makes out of it. Bellows put the glove in Smeath's hands. Smeath began to pull the buttons off it. He dragged and tore at the glove like a wild animal at its prey. Then suddenly he began to speak. I see a handsome woman with bright golden hair. I think the hair has been dyed. It has that appearance. She is talking with Mr. Watts's name in this room. Each is angry with the other. She is accusing him of something. Suddenly, yes, she picks up an ink bottle and throws it at him. Ink all over the place. He bangs on a little bell and a man comes in who looks like a clerk. That is all. I cannot see any more. Wake him up and send him down to the cab again, said Tangent. Then we can talk. Now, said Bellows, when they were alone together, had he got that right? Absolutely. The woman was Cora Vendall. She wanted a particular berth and thought I ought to have got it for her. She's fifty-six if she's a day and not in any way suitable for it. If I had proposed it, the people would simply have laughed at me. She did get into a blind fury with me and she did throw the ink at me. She's been made to pay for that and she's been told not to show her powdered nose inside my office again. Your man is remarkable, Bellows. There can be no two opinions about it. There is certainly money in him. 
You'll find the hundred and fifty, then? Yes, I'll do that. Mind, I must have a word to say in the management. The right sort of people will have to be got to see that man. Once that has been done, I do believe you're right, and the thing will go by itself. What interest do you want? I don't want interest. What I do is to buy for a hundred and fifty pounds a share in your profits from your agreement with the clairvoyant. You shall have it. It's a jolly good thing I'm putting into your way, Tangent. I had never meant to part with a share, and I'd sooner pay you fifteen per cent on your money. However, if you insist, you can take a sixteenth. Rats, said Mr. Tangent impolitely, this is not everybody's business. Step across to the Bank of England and see how much they'll advance you on it. There are three of us in it, him and you and me. I'm going to take a third. Do just as you like about it. If I go into it, I can make it a certainty. I can get the right people to see the man. A third's too much. You must be reasonable, Tangent. I discovered him. A man once discovered a gold mine. He had no means of getting the gold out. He was a thousand miles from anywhere, and he was all alone. He died on the top of his blessed gold mine. However, I'm not arguing. I'm simply telling you. Give me a third, and my cheque and the agreement will be ready this time tomorrow morning. Otherwise, no business. Mr. Bellows hesitated, and then gave in. End of section one. Recording by Ian Stewart, Rosanna, Victoria, Australia.